upon us, and I thought I would delay to acknowledge that until the Beavers won a game. So there was, I didn't know if we were going to acknowledge it this year. But uh, anyways, we won. It was great. Um, I bring that up because uh, the most famous, probably the most famous football coach ever is named Vince Lombardi. Okay, even if you don't know anything about football, you might have heard this name. So if you're an NFL team, NFL player, if you win the Super Bowl, you get something called the Lombardi Trophy every year. And this was like the guy, the first coach who ever won a Super Bowl, and this trophy's named after him. And he's famous uh, because he always emphasized the fundamentals. And so every year, he would get his team into a room, whether they just won the Super Bowl, maybe lost in the championship game, maybe they didn't win a game, who knows, okay? But he would get them in a room no matter how well they did last year, and he'd hold up a football, and famously he'd say, guys, this is a football. This is a football. And he wasn't trying to belittle them. You know, they probably weren't sitting there going, oh, that's a football. Wow, okay, I always wondered what that thing was. You know, this is not the purpose of it. The point was he wanted to bring them back every year to the most basic aspect of what they were doing. They were playing a game, football. And I think this is equally as important, if not more so, when it comes to the Christian life. We always need to take time, especially as a church community, and come back to the basics or back to the core and say, like, why are we here? What should we be doing? What are we supposed to be all about? Um, And so for the next four weeks, we're going to be walking through what we call our why we exist statement. And this is really near and dear to my heart, uh, not because I helped craft this with a team of people back in the day. Um, But more so because if you're anything like me, if you've been maybe a part of a church for any length of time, you might walk into here on a Sunday, we're singing songs, you're hearing someone like me talk, we're taking communion, we're doing all these things, and every once in a while, if you're like me, you have these thoughts. You go, what is this, like, what is the point of this? Like, what is this all about? Now, I know I'm a pastor, I'm not supposed to think that, but there's days where you're like, well, what is the point of this? Why are we doing this? And so for me, I love asking this why question and coming back to it. And so that's the purpose of what we're going to do over the next four weeks is to remind ourselves, oh, okay, this is what we're trying to do. This is what we're all about, okay? And so this morning, I want to begin by asking you a question that's a really uh, important question, and that's this. What is your mission in life? What is your mission in life? And I propose to you that everybody in this room and everybody that you would run into today on the streets of Corvallis has a mission. And if you were to ask them, even the people who say, I don't have one, they have one. Every single one of us has a mission when we live about our lives. We're after something. We're trying to achieve something. We're trying to gain something. Or at minimum, maybe you've already gained it and you're just trying to make sure you don't lose it. But whatever that thing is, is your mission, it's your purpose, it's, it's what you're after in life. And so even every year, we just finished staff orientation week this week, I, I, every year I talk to our staff about this same idea, and I, and I make us do this very simple exercise, which I encourage you to do the same exercise on your own this week, journal about this sort of thing. I always ask people, I say, what is your mission in life? And if you really want to know what your mission is, a helpful tool would be to do this, just to sit down with a pen and a piece of paper, right? Go old school on me, pen and piece of paper, and just write out all the free time that you have with your life, all the extra time that you don't necessarily, you could be doing anything with it. How do you spend your time? 
Look at your money. Go, all the extra money that I have, which some of you are like, extra money. Yeah, extra money, five bucks even, whatever it is, the extra money that you have, what are you spending that on? Those moments of the day when you really have nothing to be thinking about, you can think about whatever you want. What are you dreaming about? What are you imagining? And I would bet that if you took those things and you compiled them into an idea, you would discover what your heart is after in life. You would discover your mission. And I think even more so, it's important for us this morning to realize that God himself, God has a mission. God has a mission. He's after something. And he's pouring all of his energy, his life, into this mission. And if you read the beginning of your Bible and you read the end of your Bible, which we've done at different points throughout the last year together, you would see and you would understand what God's point, what God's purpose is, what God's mission in the world is. He created every human being, you know, to be in this right, perfected relationship with Him, where there is the complete absence of sin. There is no more ramifications of sin, no more that brokenness that you and I just suffer through week in and week out. This is His goal. This is what He's after. And so He sent Jesus in order to accomplish this. And we discover this every week. We remind ourselves of what Jesus did, getting us to that place at the end of time where if we've put our faith in him, we will finally be in that spot again where God designed us to be, the, the, the spot that God is headed towards, his mission in the world. So God has a mission. And I think what's even more amazing, you guys, is that when you come to believe that you need Jesus to save you, and when you put your faith in him, here's the thing. God didn't just save you from something. He saved you to something. And he actually gives you a mission. He gives you a purpose. And and he says, I have rescued you, and now that I have done so, I have a desire that you would have this whole new purpose, that you'd have this new mission, and that mission that I'm giving you contributes to my greater mission in the world, okay? And so, uh, I have five things, okay? Don't freak out. This isn't an hour message, okay? I just said five. I knew you'd panic, all right? But nonetheless, all right, five things I want you to see in this passage. Maybe basic, maybe not. And that's this. I want us to see who this mission is for. These are all questions. This should be on the screen, actually. Um, why we should even do it. Who we should be discipling. How we actually do it. And then lastly, where will you get the power to do it? Where do you get the power to do it? And our passage answers all these questions. It's pretty amazing. That's why it's really famous. All right? So first, who is this mission for? Look with me in verse 17. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. All right, so just take this into consideration just, just for a moment, okay? Jesus, you guys, he is sending people out. He's giving a mission, a commission for for us to spend our lives focusing on this one great and grand purpose. What is it? It's to make disciples. It's to make disciples. That's your mission. It's my mission. If you know Jesus, this is it. But implicit to this idea of making disciples, you have to first be a disciple. There's the, the idea of being a disciple. 
while you're making disciples. Right? It's an ongoing sort of thing. This will be on the screen, uh, but D.A. Carson defined a disciple as this. He says, a disciple is someone who hears, understands, and obeys Jesus' teaching. Now, really quick, the word teaching, most of us in the West, we think information. I didn't know something, I know something. That's not the idea of teaching. To a Jewish person, a teaching would have been a holistic thing. This would have gotten to your, your mind, your heart, and your hands. And so to be a disciple of Jesus means to be a learner of Jesus. It means to have all of your faculties submitted to Him, learning from Him, following Him, receiving life from Him. So a disciple essentially is a learner of Jesus. Okay, so this is the task, to go out to help people follow Jesus, to, to help other people follow Jesus. But let's just ask the question here because I think most of us actually skip over this. You might even be weirded out that I even asked this question. But who is this mission given to? Who is supposed to be doing this? Well, our answer is in verse 17. It's, it's those who have seen the resurrected Jesus. Think about this, you guys. People have followed Jesus for years. They, they've, they've seen him do miraculous things that you and I have not really seen. But they've heard him teach just incredible things that are sort of upside down ways that, that are contrary to the ways of the world. You know, he's taught them things in the Sermon on the Mount. He's told them parables, right? They've seen this same man who they've never seen do anything wrong, sinless person. They've seen him hung on a cross, people yelling, crucify him. They've seen him bleed and die and be buried, and then they saw him late, like three days later, like alive again with a new body. And he was like eating with them and teaching them, right? He was, he was doing crazy things, right? And, and these people, it says in the Bible, more than 500 people saw Jesus in this way. And so at one point, Jesus says, hey, I want you to meet me at a mountain, and I'm going to give you uh, the next instructions for your life. And so they come to this mountain, right? These are the people. They've, they've seen this happen, and they've, they've come. They've seen the resurrected Jesus. And what does it say? It says, some worship him, which if you ever meet someone who thinks Jesus isn't God, right, this is a great place to take them, quite honestly, because no Jewish person would ever have bowed down and worshiped a person. So here, people obviously have seen and believed that Jesus is God. Some people are worshiping him, but also, notice this, this commission is given to some people who are doubting. People are worshiping him, people are doubting. This mission is given to worshipers and doubters. Right? Those, those who are in a current place where they feel and believe and say, I'm all in. Jesus, you are ultimate. You're everything to me. But it's also given to those who obviously have some foundation for believing they're there, but they still have questions. They still have questions. They aren't non-believers. They are believers, but they have some questions. They're struggling with some doubts. And see, the way most of us view the commission of Jesus is that we relegate it to people who really feel like they have it all together. So they're the ones who should do it. I'm not there yet, so I'll wait. In this verse, though, alone, guys, it levels the playing field. No matter where you are right now in this moment, if you are a follower of Jesus, whether you feel like you're full of faith or whether you feel like you're struggling with doubts, this mission is still spoken over your life this morning. Make disciples. Don't wait. Jesus isn't waiting for you to figure everything out that you could ever be asked by somebody when you step into your workplace or on the campus of Oregon State. Right? This, this commission is still for you. And I would say even furthermore, if you have doubts, 
I would say that that's just actually representative of the fact that you have faith, that you're actually exercising your faith. And to a certain degree, when I meet people who say, I've just never doubted anything, I often go, I wonder if you've really wrestled with this stuff. Because it takes faith, which means there's going to be questions you have. And if you ever talk to someone who's been following Jesus for a really long period of time, you don't go, they don't, you don't talk to them and they go, oh, I have way less questions now. They go, I have way more, you know? This is like the Christian life. Hey, and so maybe you're here this morning and the idea of helping someone else follow Jesus causes you to immediately press the pause button and go, hey, I'm not ready yet. I still have questions. I want to figure out some things, these tough passages in the Old Testament, you know, because I'm afraid someone's going to ask me about those things. Or I need to get this part of my life together first. And when I get that part of my life together, I improve that area, then I'm going to start, right? The fact of the matter is, guys, you will never feel ready. You always have questions. And unless you're waiting to the point where you see Jesus face to face, when you have all this knowledge in this perfect life, then we will never do this task. These excuses we make are simply insecurities and they're fears. But if we were listening to ourselves and we waited, we would never do this. And see, that's just not the point. This commission is for the worshipers and the doubters. So who makes disciples? Everyone, every Christian. There's no sidelines in the Christian life to stand on. So why is this the case? Why can't there be sidelines? Why can't there be timeouts or fill in your own sports metaphor or something, okay? Why can't this be the case? Well, Jesus says it in verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus looks out at those people worshiping him and those people who are doubting him, and he makes an audacious declaration, not that just some authority is his, but all authority is his. Not just in that city, not just in that region, right? Not even, not even close, right? All authority has been given to him. In heaven, so the authority of God, and on earth, meaning that there is no one with more authority than Jesus. No one. There, there is no one who can come into your life and say, hey, I know Jesus told you this, but I say to you this. And you go, oh, okay. Right, he has all authority. No one has more authority than Jesus. Plus, this means that there is not one person on the face of the planet. Guys, there is not one location. There isn't one institution. There is literally nothing that Jesus doesn't have authority over in heaven or on earth. Think, you can think of something, he has authority over it. Okay? He possesses it all. He is the highest. He is giving these people and us the very reason for why he can say what he's about to say and the reason why you and I should even do what he's asking us to do. Because he's our authority and he has spoken. Let's just be honest, we don't like authority, right? We don't like authority. But at least you understand authority, right? You kind of understand it. Um, in this, this just for an example, if, if I went into your work and I walked up to you, let's just, Jason, friends, I can use you, okay? Jason's a middle school teacher still, right? Nothing changed, okay? Um, I walked up to Jason in his class this week and I said, Jason, no, 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 dude, you're doing it all wrong. That is not how you should be teaching these kids, math, I know more than you, okay, and I am your boss, and so, therefore, Jason, please do not do that. You need to do it this way. Jason is not going to look at me and go, oh, yes, sir. Right? He's not going to look at me and say, okay, good, sounds good, Josh, whatever you say. Right? He's probably going to laugh at me and think I'm being ridiculous. 
correct? Hopefully I'm being ridiculous or I just went insane, okay? But nonetheless, like, let's just say this is playing itself out. But if your, bo- if your principal, right, came in and said to you, Jason, you're doing it all wrong. We're changing things. I need you to do it this way now. Jason goes, okay, right? Because there's an authority over Jason that he listens to. And he can drag his feet if he wants about it and complain about it, or he could also just do it. And whether or not you drag your feet or just do it is probably dependent upon how good you think your boss is and how wise he think, you think he is. But we see the point. Even if I went in there and I told Jason to do the same thing that his principal did, he still wouldn't listen to me but his principal, correct? That's his boss. Like, we understand authority. We at least understand it. And so, guys, we, we might not like authority, but we at least understand it. And the reason I think we don't like authority is because we long to possess it. We want it. And we don't like someone else having it over us. But in this one audacious statement of Jesus, guys, we discover that any authority that any of us have is actually simply borrowed, or it's stewarded authority that ultimately belongs to Jesus because he possesses it all. So therefore, there isn't anything that he could say to us where we could turn to him and say, oh, Jesus, you're being ridiculous. You're being silly, right? You don't have authority over this part. I gave you these parts, but not this one. He has authority over all of our lives. And the greatest part about it is he is the purest, best, most good, can I say it that way, authority that you will ever have. He's so good. He is so good. So if Jesus has authority over my entire life and there's nothing that he can say of me that wouldn't be something that I need to listen to and follow, then you and I, guys, sit here in this moment as followers of Jesus and we realize that no one is exempt from this commission. No one. This isn't a job for pastors, for missionaries. It's not a job for interns or Christian leaders. This isn't given to those people who just have it all together, right, or think they do, or people who think they're smart enough. It's not just for those people. Jesus has authority, and he says to you, yes, you, all of you, this morning, if you're a Christian, make disciples. That's your mission. So I want to ask you this morning, if you follow Jesus, then just a simple way to, to, to kind of like chisel this down. Who is your person? Who is your person? Who is that man or, or that woman that at minimum you're just saying, I want to invest my life in that person? I'm going to invest my life in that person. Maybe just this year, maybe just for a few months, maybe forever. But I'm going to invest my life in that person. This isn't a seasonal call. Jesus says, I've rescued you from something to something, and I want to challenge you this morning to actually even think through who it is that you're investing your life in, and how are you doing that? To help you with that, the third thing we see is who should you disciple? Look with me in verse 19. Who should you disciple? It says, go and make disciples of all nations, of all nations, of all nations which kind of signals to us that this is a community effort. Because how in the world are you guys going to reach every nation, right? How are you going to do that? It's a community effort, but it involves all of us, of all nations. So just think about this. When you're considering who to invest in in your life, how do you assess that? Very practically, how do you assess that? Some of you are very type A and organized, and you might actually make a list. 
That's fine. I'm not going to judge you for it, okay? But most of you probably have an unspoken intuitive mental list. And you might not even identify it, but it'd be interesting to try to think through it. You might even, if you're like me, you're like, oh, does this, what kind of music does this person like? You know, do we have similar hobbies or something? You know, or maybe, you might not even realize it, but many of us are maybe asking, will this person make me look good? Will this person add to my life? Would it be smart for me to disciple or invest in this person? Because therefore, that'll be a benefit to my life, right? We might have these lists, but I think it might be really helpful for us to go, how did Jesus assess the same thing of who to invest in? We actually don't really know. But what we do know is that the people that he did choose were not normally the people that you would choose. That's very clear societally. He chose people that you wouldn't normally choose. So who should you disciple? It says all nations. We can't miss this. Who do we disciple? All nations, all peoples. Guys, God doesn't have favorites. He doesn't have favorites. We do, and we must recognize that we do, or else we will fool ourselves into believing that God really mainly loves and cares about people who are really more like us. But God, you guys, he has a global heart, a global heart. His heart is for all peoples and all nations and is in the business of saving people and actually changing people's hearts to begin to have that same love and compassion for all people who don't look like them and talk like them and see the world the, way the, same, they, the same way that they do. Right, you get the idea. Right, God doesn't have favorites. Guys, his heart bleeds into every people group on the planet. And his desire is for your heart to bleed like that too. Very practically, this is what this means. It means that if we're doing church right, and if the church in general is doing church right, no matter where you are, then there will be things about your community that aren't just the way that you like it. Right? There may be songs that we sing that, that aren't your favorite. There might be social events that aren't really idealistic for the way you like to hang out. Or we will be filled with people that you wouldn't naturally want to be friends with. You wouldn't walk up to and go, dude, we were made for each other, right? There's gonna be a lot of people like that. But if the church is getting God's heart, guys, we will begin to open our hands and we will begin to open our hearts to our preferences for the sake of other people. Because it's for all nations. When we realize that our, our tribes of people, that our style of clothing or our interests in entertainment or our favorite senses of humor or our social class or our politics or our race or our ethnicity or our family lines, our bloodlines, guys, they do not run as thick as the bloodline of Jesus. And if we're getting this heartbeat that Jesus has, let me tell you, the world will look at our faith communities and they will say, I have no idea how you're even friends with each other, but man, the way you love each other is otherworldly. It's not of this world. And so therefore, don't miss the idea that the very person Jesus is calling you to invest your life in and help them come to know, love, and follow him just might be someone who you wouldn't normally be friends with. This is who we disciple, all nations. There's no boundaries, there's no favorites. How do we do it? Verses 19 and 20. We're told very explicitly, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
uh, it's important to realize when reading this that there's only one command here, really one verb. And that, that one command is to make disciples. That's it. Okay? But there are other words that kind of look like commands, that look like verbs in and of themselves, but they're really participles. Okay? They're more telling you how to do that thing of make disciples. And these participles are here as going, as baptizing, and as teaching. That's telling you how to do this, how we do it. So it says, go. Go here, honestly, guys, for you, it could very well be Jesus saying to you, go, that is, leave where you currently are and go to a place that you currently do not live. That's what it could mean. And maybe that place would be a country that has yet to hear the name of Jesus. It'd be a country like Turkey, right? It's a place where you would need to devote years in that country to learn that language and that culture in order to share the hope of Jesus with them. This, this could be how this would be speaking to you this morning. And just as a quick aside, if that is you, we want to help train you. We want to help you in that. And so in October for our Global Missions Weekend, we'll be starting a Global Missions cohort to help train you up to be able to do that, to go, to be encouraged in that. And so if you're interested in that, you can talk to me or, or Joshua Matano or Mitchell, okay? But guys, at the very heart of this way of making disciples is by going which literally means as you are going. That's what it means. Meaning every day, all the time, wherever you are, as you are doing life, make disciples. That's what he's saying. This means that discipleship, you guys, is not thought of as a seasonal thing or when you have a ton of free time. Because discipleship is not you having to read a ton of books, schedule a bunch of one-on-one -on -one coffee dates, meeting with somebody and saying, I did it, I discipled somebody. That's not what this would mean then. Instead, this implies things such as when you're going to the grocery store, running errands, you say, hey, you want to go with me? Or it's you going, hey, I have to eat lunch today. You want to do that together? You know? Or uh, I'm going to, uh, you know, be celebrating Christmas. How about you come over? You know? It's taking the stuff that you're already doing and just opening your life to people. That's all it is. And that might feel weird to us at first, but it's really fun, actually, when you do it. And then, therefore, you're not trying to figure out how you can make this thing work. This is the idea. You're already doing life. You don't need more margin. You don't need more space. You just have to be intentional with it. That's all it is. So baptizing here is getting at the idea that discipleship includes evangelism, that discipleship actually starts with people who don't yet know Jesus. So from the inception of their introduction to Jesus, you're helping them see, you're helping them learn and understand what it means to follow Jesus. Yet you do this with your words and your actions, right? But you also do this even through your failures, right? As you show them what it looks like to confess sin, repent of it, and trust in Jesus' fullness of his salvation for your life. Right? But then eventually, guys, people, when they come to a place, they will make a decision, right? A, a profession of faith in Jesus, which the Bible tells us that profession of faith is baptism. Just being clear, a profession of faith is not praying a prayer and then just telling people you prayed a prayer. Uh, to, to, to follow Jesus, your profession of faith is baptism. That's the means of grace that Jesus gave us. It's for you to stand in front of people and say, I have... I've died with Christ, and I am, I'm a new creation because of Jesus. I'm united to him. My life is his. That's what baptism is. 
Because when you go under the water, you're celebrating that you've been united to Christ in his death, meaning that he paid for all of your sins, that those sins were buried with him in the grave, so those sins can never creep up again. God will never throw your sins in your face because they were buried in the grave with Jesus. Isn't that amazing? He will never throw your sins in your face. Jesus paid for it. But you didn't just get saved from your old life. There's a new life that we symbolize through baptism when you come out of the water, that you are united to Christ in his life, that there's this resurrection life, this new creation life that we now have through the Spirit of God living in us because of Jesus. This is what baptism symbolizes. And we do this by name of being baptized into the triune name of God. So Jesus here utters the Trinity, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, guys. And so we make disciples by helping people come to a place where they profess their faith in Jesus. And we look back to that moment and we realize that I died with Christ, that I've been given a new name. I'm renamed with the name of Jesus. Thirdly, it says teaching. Here is showing us that being a disciple is a forever ongoing process. If baptism is a one-time thing, teaching, that's definitely ongoing, right? So is the going. Okay? But baptism is a one-time thing. Teaching is always, we are constantly needing each other, guys, to be reminded of who Jesus is, of what he has done for us, and how we should be living in this very moment of our lives. And again, this is a, this is a holistic thing. It's not just information. It's not coming into a room like this and saying, I hope Josh has something new I've never thought of, right? Today's not the day, right? That's not teaching. Teaching is being saturated in the Word of God because we so quickly forget it. It's wanting all of our faculties, our mind, our heart, our hands, and our feet, learning from Jesus. We do that through his word. This is why we need the Bible. This is why you need a private devotional life. This is why we need Sundays. This is why I need my community group. To be reminded, to be taught, to be taught through word and through the example of other people that we're doing life with, okay? So let's be honest with you. This is how you make disciples. This is not rocket science, right? I guess some of you in the room, that doesn't work. Okay, rocket science for some of you is too easy, okay? But for me, rocket science is impossible. Just think of something hard, right, that rock, other than rocket science, if you can do rocket science, okay? This is not rocket science. You get the idea? I don't really have anything fancy or mind-blowing to give to you when it comes to this question, how we make disciples. And the reason is it has never changed. It's always been there. It's by going, it's by sharing the gospel, showing the gospel, teaching the word of God. One of my favorite pastors of all time, Sinclair Ferguson, simply said once, I think about it all the time, he says, ministry is simply reminding each other again and again who we are in Christ. That's all it is. It's just reminding each other discipleship, who we are again and again in Christ. And so we follow Jesus and help others follow Jesus by doing the same things, guys, that Christians have done forever. It is not sexy. And that lies, herein lies our problem, honestly, because we really want it to be. We really do. We're looking for something, something new, that we've somehow missed for thousands of years. It's gonna fix the problem. And so we make excuses, we say, I have my doubts, I'm not ready, I need a good strategy, 
and then I'll start, or if I could just find like the right curriculum, you know, or if I could be a mature believer for X amount of years, then I'll be ready. And this is the problem. Guys, we don't lack the knowledge of what we're supposed to be doing. You might even be taking notes this morning. That's awesome. And unless you're a brand new believer, I doubt very easily that you're writing stuff down and thinking, wow, I've never thought of that before. Okay, now I'm going to go and I'm going to do this. I was just simply lacking that piece of information. And now it's all clicking, right? I doubt that's the case. I mean, sure, it's helpful to think about these things like, okay, yeah, I don't need to like create all this extra space in my life. I could just invite people into what I'm already doing. And those things are definitely helpful. I don't want to minimize what the Spirit of God might be saying to you this morning. But the crux of the matter is this, is that we don't lack information to do this. We lack the power to do it. We don't lack the, what should I be doing? We, we often lack the power to bring us to the places where we actually do it. I don't know if you've ever had like an appliance or in a, like an electronic device or some sort, you know, and you're having problems with it and you look at the troubleshooting thing in your manual and then what does it always say the first thing? Check to see if it's plugged in, right? And you're always like, that's so stupid. I would have obviously plugged it in. Uh, years ago, I remember we had this washer and I was having problems with it and I looked and it was like, is it plugged in? And I was like, of course. And I looked over and it wasn't plugged in and that was my problem, right? I was, that's why that's written there for people like me, okay? Idiots who don't plug stuff in and wonder why it's not working, okay? But there's nothing wrong with my washing machine. It was working fine. I had everything hooked up right. I had all the tools. I had everything I needed, right? I lacked the power. And in most disciple-making, we have the right information. We have the appliance that's in the condition. We have the manual, but we're just not plugging in. And so, if you don't lack the knowledge this morning, but you lack the power, well, where you get the power? It's in verse 20. It's right there. What does Jesus say? He says, behold. He says, look at this. Lift up your eyes. Stare at this. Be consumed by this. Behold. I am with you always. even to the end of the age. He doesn't say, I'm with you sometimes. I'm with you most of the time, but if you screw up, I'm out. He says, I am with you always. You're not going to be able to get rid of me. Ever. I've always loved art, and I've always been really bad at art, okay? I always even, I appreciate art. I love going to museums, looking at art pieces. I don't get it, though. I really don't. I'm like, this is fun. But I'm not one of those people that stands there and is like, oh, this means this to me. I'm always like, what does that guy mean when he, you know, what's the point of this? You know, anyways, it's not important, okay? I love, I've always loved art. I've never been good at art. I don't even understand art. But I remember in high school, I had this amazing art teacher. Uh, her name was Miss Robinson. And I say she was amazing because she gave me a really good grade. She gave me an awesome grade in art, okay? She was really nice. And you probably remember art class, right? You sit there at your table, you're given all the supplies, whether it's the paints for the day or the charcoal or colors of whatever sorts, right? And at least for me, Miss Robinson, she'd stand up and she'd, you know, hang up her art piece that she'd already done before we started class as an example of what we're supposed to be doing. And it'd be a flower or something. She's like, this is what I want you to do today. 
and I want you to work on your shading or whatever, artistic terms, okay? Right? I want you to work on this today. And so we'd all begin, right? And we all are starting to do our things. And every time when I'm doing my thing, it looks like I'm in second grade, just being really honest with you. But Miss Robinson was amazing because she'd always come over and she'd say, Josh, that looks amazing. That looks so good. She's like, but here, let's do this. And she'd always take whatever I was using and she would start working on my, my picture or my thing that I was working on, my portrait. And it always looked incredible. Like, she basically did my art for me all year long. I'm not exaggerating this. And then she would grade her own work, you know, essentially. And I'd go home and my mom thought I was really good at art, basically. And I just never was. But the thing was this, when Miss Robinson was there, if we didn't have a sub, I was really good at art. Why? Because she was in the room. And she's there with me. And she, for some reason, wanted to help me out in a much greater way than I really deserve, that's for sure, right? Do you see? We don't lack the information, we lack the power, but the power we lack, the power we need is actually something we already have. Jesus is always in the room. Jesus doesn't say to you guys, he doesn't say here in Matthew 28, I am the one with all authority, listen to me. I have the authority, you must obey me, so now go. Do this thing, good luck. Don't screw up. He didn't say that. He says, oh yeah, and I'm going to be with you every step of the way, and I'm going to do it with you. And through you, I'm there all the time. Even when you fail, even when you sin, even when you ignore me, even when you're acting out, even when you're closing yourself off for months, when you finally check back in, so to speak, I'm still there. I'm still there. You can't get rid of me. He's there. He loves you. Jesus is for you. And most comforting, he's for himself. And he is going to see the mission through. He's just inviting you to do it with him. But he's going to accomplish it. That's why he's with you every single step of the way. Guys, I'm learning lately to pray and to ground myself in this simple prayer, God, may I be confident in your ability and not my own. May I put all my confidence in your ability and not my own. If you've had any real conversation with me at any point in my life, you'd probably walk away realizing when I'm being transparent that I have struggled most of my life with confidence. I, re- I never feel confident. I mean, for example, I walk in here on a Sunday, I'm never like, I got this. You know, I never feel that way, ever. But man, it is such a comfort to go, I don't need to be confident in myself. I don't have to be the smartest one in the room. I don't have to have it all figured out. Jesus is with me, I'm gonna put my confidence in his ability, not my own. This is like the power right here, guys. Man, I I resonate, maybe you do, you resonate with Joshua, right? Not me, Old Testament Joshua, right? The key leader, leading Israelites into the promised land, what happened? Moses died, God raised up Joshua, right? Moses, the guy that Joshua always leaned on to be there, Moses died. God says, Joshua, you're the guy. And what does he say to Joshua? He says, Joshua, be strong, be courageous, meditate on my word day and night, be strong and courageous. Why does God tell him to do that? Why can God commission him to go do that and be that way? Does he say, Josh, I've groomed you for years, right? 
you're, the, you're, you're a good leader, right? You're the guy for the job. And Josh's like, yeah, I got this. Be strong, be courageous. No, that's not at all what it says. It says, because I will be with you wherever you go. This is constantly throughout Scripture, the promise of God. It's the power for us to go. It's the fuel that you need. And if we're being honest, we often fail to remember that Jesus is with us in the power of the Spirit of God who lives inside of us. Guys, He's with us every moment of the day. Whether you acknowledge Him or not, He's there. And you guys, you might be weary this morning, even by this mission, because you're honestly carrying burdens that Jesus is supposed to be carrying. Or you're trying to do God's work apart from God's power. You're like trying to run a marathon you haven't eaten in months. You think it's on you. But feast on Jesus. He's there every step of the way. So when we succeed or fail, whether you feel like you know the answers or whether you feel like you don't, whether you're fearful or confident, we remember that Jesus is with us. We have the power, and no matter how things go, He won't leave us, the one with all power and all authority. If we fail, He won't leave us. If we succeed, it's because He was with us. So here we have it. God has a mission, and you have a mission this morning. A mission that you've always been living into, no, no matter if you realize this morning that you've been doing this or not, you have a mission. You walked in here with one this morning, something you're after. But God saved you from something to something, and he's given you a mission now, a much greater purpose and a mission that you are currently, much greater than the purpose you're already living for. So the question is, what are you living for? What are you after? For being honest, most of our missions usually revolve around us, and that means they usually die with us. They don't extend beyond our lives. But God's mission, you guys, it revolves around Jesus, and it extends well beyond our lives, and it will echo throughout eternity. This is what Jesus is calling you to be after, not because it's a chore, but because it's the way to truly be living, quite honestly. That's being a disciple, right? And making disciples. This is why we exist as a church. And praise God, Jesus is with us every step of the way. Okay? Amen? All right, let's pray. Father God, I do want to ask you this morning that um, we would maybe just stop making excuses. Lord, that, that I would, we all would, and that we would open our lives to the people that you're wanting us to open our lives to, the people that you've already placed us around. So Lord Jesus, would you be the one that we see this morning has all authority God, you are our authority. You are so good. And so I pray that we would willingly listen and follow you, whatever you're calling us into. Because we know that you're not cruel. You're not selfish. You're not going to lead us somewhere destructive. You're going to lead us in the path of life. And I pray, God, that I would, I'd remember that this morning. We all would. And so, Lord Jesus, would you just cast out fear 
as we know that you are here with us this morning. May your presence dominate our thinking. Uh, Would it comfort our hearts? Lord, would it be uh, the pillow that we sleep on every moment of the day? And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.